Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Game Junkie Show. I'm your host, Crystal. Please welcome today, Hour A Day Gamer. What's up, bud? Not much. Just having a busy weekend. I'm excited to talk about this game today. This is going to be so much fun. I'm excited to talk about the games today. And what game are we going to talk about? Please welcome Miguel and Jess from Long Play Games and Indie Imprint. And we're going to talk about a pretty exciting indie project these guys are talking on. Welcome, you two. Hello. Hi. Hi, how are you doing? I'm hanging in there. It's, I mean, really, it's just same toilet, different shit. But that's just like the everyday <laughs> life. That's just um, so super excited to talk about your games for a little bit. So before we jump in, I kind of want to just break the ice for a little bit uh, and ask you guys the tough questions. Miguel, I'm going to start with you. What is your favorite video game character of all time? I would say my favorite video game character of all time is probably uh, the Avatar from the Ultima series. Oh, is there a specific reason why that character resonates with you? Yeah, I like the concept that that uh, Richard Garriott came up with for that, which is, you know, instead of it being a, you know, a specific character that you play, you know, it's Dirk Manley Space Marine or whatever. You are instead playing a version of you that is the ideal you for this environment. Gotcha. And I don't think enough games really explore that as a concept. That no, this isn't this isn't what would what would a seven and a half foot tall genetically engineered space marine do? It's what would you do confronted with this puzzle? That's a good way to put it. That's th- those are definitely more engaging narratives to be in. Um, Jess, what about you? What is your favorite video game character of all time? Oh gosh. Uh, <laughs> I'm trying to think. Um you know I I would probably go with um oh god it's it's very hard cuz I've played uh, I'm more of a classic game person. So I kind of uh get to enjoy just all of the new indie games and stuff. Um I guess uh I know this sounds weird. I guess I, I like the sim, the sim type thing, so I guess in a way myself because I just kind of create a a character in a in a simulation game like Stardew Valley or my time at Porsche or uh, well Sims, and then go from there and and I guess make those kind of decisions too. And really, honestly, um, screw up. I don't think I've actually finished very many games totally, though I did love Jenny Leclue. Oh my god! And then I also love um, uh, uh, the kids from uh, 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 Costume Quest. So I guess if I have to go right now, uh, Jenny Leclue at this point. <laughs> right. I mean that's an awesome pick. I, I I did like your take on that, where you're inserting yourself in it and picking yourself in yeah. that type of environment. I think that's pretty clever. Hour, what about you? What's your favorite video? Hard, that's a really hard question, by the way. Like, that's a that's very hard question. I know it's so super hard. Super hard question. Super hard. Um, well, I think I'll probably have to go with um, Lilith from Borderlands, just because that's like my third favorite game of all time. And she is the one that I play with almost every playthrough. I mean, yeah, I've played with all four of the characters and, you know, multiple playthroughs with each and everything, but Lilith is by far my favorite. And uh, yeah, I mean, I think she's just a badass, and I mean, I, she's just a lot of fun to play with. So I would go with Lilith in Borderlands. So does that mean that Tiny Tina's is all, did you already buy? Uh, I actually picked it up, I believe on the Epic store. It, I, I think maybe a chapter or something of it was free. I just, 
I just usually claim the free games every week and move on because I don't have time to play them. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I, I did pick it up. So I do have it. I just haven't played it yet. Speaking of time to do things, let's talk about what it means to be an indie developer. So tell us a little bit about long play games. Who are you? What inspired it? Where did you come from? Okay, so Long Play Games is a New Mexico-based company. We actually are an outgrowth from Indie Imprint, which was a, a uh, publishing and uh, indie author services business. And the first game that we did, we actually did with Indie Imprint. But the problem was people were really confused, like continuously confused when they would go look up Indie Imprint. And they'd be like, well, they do books and they do music and they do stuff. How does this relate to video games? And gamers really wanted a much more gamer-focused thing. So we created a new company specifically to handle the spinoff and the focus of it. So that's that's really where that where that came from. And the impetus really was, you know, I had a chance to actually early retire because 2020 pretty much ended everything that I was that I was doing. So I was like, well, while I have the chance, I might as well do the last thing on my bucket list, which was, you know, doing game dev again after many years in the corporate trenches of of development. So it was it was a it was a nice opportunity to get back to doing the one thing that I actually enjoy doing. So do you have ha, have you made a game before or have a background in making games or did you just say I'm going to learn how to make video games? Oh, I've I've been making video games and selling video games since about 1984. Okay, so that's something that you've always been doing but this is your own Exactly. project essentially okay yeah okay I took, a, I took a brief break for about 20 years to do corporate stuff because it was much uh, much more stable paycheck i mean i know some people are like oh video game devs are in it for the money no the same skills you can apply to make probably easily six figures and you'll never see that as an indie dev nope yeah definitely now jess um alter by the way who some of you may know because um she's an author and i take yep. it you <laughs> Um, you do some of the, the, the writing and the art on the show. How did you kind of get involved in the, the gaming development world? Uh, well, actually, the, the big thing was um, uh, I wanted to make a, a little game for the, um, uh, for the game show. For, for the game show. Miguel had gotten a game show. And um, being in the, in the corporate world, Miguel couldn't make a game because that would be in potentially intellectual property of the corporation, you know, caveat to anybody who decides to go into it. <laughs> um, and so with a lot of handholding, I wanted to make a game. I'd never done that before. I mean, except, you know, just writing out the concept of it. So with a lot of handholding and pointing out and discussion, I was able to make a, um, a game shell game called G Y A T M, which, uh, it, it can I can I say slightly cussy words here? Oh my god, I have a potty mouth. Every episode is okay. me saying it. But please, <laughs> please do. <laughs> okay, so gyatm, get your ass to Mars. We couldn't actually publish it as get your ass to Mars uh, because nobody would t- accept it as. Yeah, Microsoft like specifically kicked back and said you can't have a game with the word ass in the title. Yeah, and you're like, and well, Microsoft. what about a possible description? And like, just <laughs> it, no ass. <laughs> I, I, so, I heard. I heard. I heard Microsoft's a bit on the strict side. I have a buddy that took a, a screenshot of cyberpunk has some very uh, uh, sexual scenes in it. Like they show body parts and some of the, the scenes are 
I would definitely, I would definitely say mature. And he just, for fun, just clicked a screenshot that he was going to send to somebody joking around with them. And I guess it automatically uploaded into some place on his Microsoft account and they banned him for it for, for boobies, literally for, for boobies. Which is weird because I thought that they had a, a, in the, Oh yeah. It could have been so much worse. Yes. They had the, the, I, hmm. Yeah, Cyberpunk twenty seventy seven has this whole genitalia selector, and yet they yeah. greenlit it. Yeah, yeah, it's it's really it depends on who you know and what you know, obviously. Yeah, but yeah, okay. Microsoft's a bit on the um, paperwork driven side, and yeah, they that was how the game ended up becoming just the acronym. Okay, and then yeah. and then we decided to actually do a as our as our first getting our feet wet with it, we decided to do a a full-blown PC version of GYATM, which was the first one we published on Steam. Yep, again, a lot of hand-holding. That one was published uh, under Indie Imprint, though I think Steam now shows it under Longplay Games, which is fine. Yeah, that is, since Longplay is a a spin-off of Indie Imprint. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Got it, okay. Yeah, because I wasn't super sure on that. So primarily, for the most part, it's just Longplay Games at this point, really. Yes. Yeah, yeah, at this point... yeah, the the editing and the writing and the and the uh, small publication stuff is is all still handled through Indie Imprint. Yes. Okay, that's interesting. You know, just because of the dynamics, the indie dynamics are just so unique because it's small. Which, by the way, small. How in the hell three people? How yeah. in the mm-hmm. hell are you making things look like this with three people? I, I don't even. I can't even wrap my head around. How are you doing? Magic that? fingers. <laughs> yeah, uh, long play. Long play actually does. Um, often we'll do twenty-hour days. We do sixteen to twenty-hour days, which is why long play actually will sometimes. We have a Wednesday um, stream, uh, stream mm-hmm. on Glimish, um, just to get long play to not be doing game dev. Yeah, because I I need to. If I don't take a break because I have to, I literally don't. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, it's it's a lot of hours, you know. And some of the artwork is is due to the very talented um, yeah. uh, uh, people that we have hired to work with us on stuff. Yes. And some of it's ours, and some of it's yeah. contracted. And you know, in the indie world, you contract what you have to, and you do the rest. Yep. Okay. So that's uh, I guess if we do like to use the term normal or average, right? It it's not uncommon, should I say, if you are small indie dev team you might bring in subcontractors or bring in piecemeal oh, yeah. people temporarily to help you do a, a oh, project yeah. it's, actually, it's common in AAA too i've worked as a contractor for AAA companies yes they, they love to do that yeah especially because uh when they bring on a contractor they don't have to bring on any of the expenses associated with an employee just that that right. specific chunk less less taxes so to pay exactly um, so, so contractor for AAA is that that you know like um you know, they, they simply don't even bother to credit the people who work there, let alone the contractors. Yeah. No, it's, it's also it's easier to get rid of them. Yeah, that's just true. Boom, you just dump. But at least when you're a contractor, you know that you're going away at the end of a game, or yeah. you know that you're going away at the end of a specific piece. And there's always that. I appreciated that. It, it's pretty crazy to me. One of the things I love about video games is, in my opinion, it is the ultimate form of art. Every possible art piece exists in this medium, and it's the only medium that can tell a story the way that it does I but agree. it's, it's interactive yeah but it's activities yeah oh it's, it's but it's crazy to me how expensive and stressful it is and it's very frustrating to me 
that some people are so hard on devs and and they they review bomb for petty reasons and i just get very frustrated with what it must feel like for developers or like <laughs> you know i one of my one of my very first uh, uh professional dev experiences at sri many many years ago like 92 or 3 um a game that i came out with came out at the same time as descent and it was a similar enough concept because basically that game was going to happen one way or another. The technology yeah. had reached a point. Um, the one that I had done was based off of uh, Autodesk's technology that had come out at the time. They had just made a 3D engine in Autodesk that worked really, really well. I don't remember exactly what the sense was based off of, but the the time had come when you could do a 3D game that would work effectively on a on a 486. And uh, I obviously didn't have the marketing budget. The company that I was working for paid me a percentage so i got almost nothing and the thing that killed me was that was the very first time that i got reviews of all the games i had made prior to that that was the first time i got reviews suggesting i should go kill myself <gasps> and i was like yeah. really what you just you hate the fact that something came out against descent so badly you think the dev should suicide that's that's your alternative oh <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah i point, it's just it's such a a industry i've i've often said yeah. that there's nothing gamers hate as much as games yeah. I, I, I don't even think I can argue with you. I mean, because I, I spend time on Twitter. So maybe before mm -hmm. maybe before we talk about this exciting upcoming game you have, it, it might be interesting to get the opinions of you guys as real hardworking developers. What does it what does it feel like if you if you were to see review bomb, would you be able to go, eh, it's just a bunch of dumbasses review bombing me? Or is that something that's really hard for you not to take personally because that is your blood, sweat, and tears? Well, when I was a kid and I was making games and selling them at flea markets and stuff, you know, everyone was really positive and I appreciated that. And the, the negativity really came out of the mid-90s. And the way I look at it now is I, I try to take sort of the Madonna view of it, which is, you know, if they're hating on me, they're talking about me. Yep. Any publicity is good publicity. Sorry. Yeah. And honestly, I don't look care at if they're review bombing because if they're review bombing, it's going to get news. And if it's going to get news, there's going to be people who are like, well, I have to see what pissed off this guy this much that he yeah. has 700 hours in the game and since it's a waste yeah. of time. Yeah, which yeah. we do have, by the way. Uh, we also have review bombs of people who've spent five minutes and they're like, this isn't there and that isn't there. And you literally can see no, 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 that's not a review that. bomb. That's just a negative. Review oh, bombing is when you get 10,000 people oh. together and you just you just tank your review on something. See, I'm old. <laughs> Someone doesn't spend enough time on the internet. <laughs> <laughs> no, we've we've had some hilarious negative negative uh, yeah. uh, reviews, but I always find the negative reviews to be as funny as the uh, the positive ones, because the only thing that we're really combating is apathy. Yeah, that's true. That's true, and that 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 is very true. Sadly, negative attention is. I mean, if pe people would rather have that than not have any attention at all. Sadly, yeah, I mean, Battlefield twenty forty two was one of the worst games I've ever made. It sure didn't stop them from making more of them. Oh Jesus. Oh, shots fired. Savage, shots Miguel. Yeah. I like him. I like him. And he had the hustle as a kid, selling his own games in the flea yeah. market. That's my kind of dude right here. Oh, so yeah. Yeah. let's talk about uh, this game. Now, you'll have to educate me a bit and, and make sure that we educate everybody watching when everything is coming out. Smugglers of Cygnus. So let's yeah. talk about, if you look at our, we've got the, the, the Tumblr. We've got the shirt. We've got the hat. So let's oh, yes. talk about let's talk about the 
educate everybody for somebody who's never heard of smugglers of Cygnus. What kind of game is it? When can we play it? Where can we get it? So smugglers is a sci-fi adventure trade exploration game. It's just a, a real straightforward kind of you travel around the galaxy, you deliver cargo, you fight off pirates, you engage in piracy, you upgrade your ship, you play with your friends in small collections because you can invite your own friends into your game, but not like a big server. And you basically just enjoy the, the quiet of space or go shoot things. It's all entirely up to you. It's, it's that, that nice, chill, modern sim style that that combines a little bit of the the RPG and crafting aspects with a little bit of the the just exploration and not having to feel like you're driven aspect. Yeah. So is all of the fighting or combat based inside a a, a ship or a flying vehicle, or can you also exit the vehicle and and use any kind of weaponry or like hand combat? The the combat is entirely ship to ship. Okay. And there are always uh, there are always escape pods, and you actually get a reward for collecting the escape pods to uh, repatriate people back oh, home. Yeah. yeah, we are a nonviolent studio, so we focus heavily on the the family friendly aspect of it. So while you are welcome to blow up a ship and all of its glorious explosionness, you also collect the people, and their governments pay to have them repatriated. I like that idea. That's yeah, pretty cool. Great. We can be savage, but not completely evil at the same time. Yeah. yeah, exactly. I mean, these pirates are wanted by somebody, and someone's paying for them. So the, the other thing is, oh, sorry. No, no, no. Please, please continue, Jess. The other thing was is when we were first talking about um, uh, building a, a game in the Cygnus Galaxy, which is you know the Cygnus Galaxy of games. Uh, we were talking about how we wanted to have something a lot like the the eighties um, GI Joe. No one dies in GI Joe in the eighties, and that's kind of a fun feel where it's like you know. They're every, they're, everything is out there for shooty bang bang pew pew and it's just like slightly different you know we'd like to not have yeah, that's, oh, we'll collect, that's you know. kind of how you know you know pokemon has made millions and millions billions of dollars off never killing a pokemon they always faint pokemon only yeah. faint you don't actually kill them so that is true that's a million violent games out there you don't need to make another one i mean people right. got that covered yep ah. I was actually going to mention when you had said that, uh, I mean, I've been playing video games since, oh my God, 1985, when I was four, but that some of those games were violent. So as a kid, I was playing games that, I mean, they there was violence in games. You, you killed oh, yeah. things. I, I do feel like there aren't as many, I could be wrong because I don't have kids, but I, I feel like a lot of games are teen- or up, and there's less yes. market and less creativity. Like kids' games are primarily in the same franchise, right? Mm -hmm. They're educational. Okay. Uh, yeah, Rockware has really gone away yeah, as a concept, which is sad. We were really seriously considering when we were talking about smugglers. We were seriously considering doing a Lapware game instead, but there just doesn't seem to be a market for Lapware anymore. It's been mostly replaced by, um, you know, uh, tablet games that that are mostly just adware. Yeah. 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 So this I, is. I was just going to say this is a family-friendly game that any age group can enjoy, but the appeal here is that your your kids can play it, and it really doesn't have um, this heavy, violent death 
aspect exactly. to it. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's more like American Truck Simulator or Euro yeah. Truck Simulator, but you still get the uh, the ability to to wow. fight pirates and fight off pirates and whatnot, which is you know that nice little extra bit. Or become one. You can become a or pirate. Become one. <laughs> yes. Because one of the one of the important portions of this game is that while there are a lot of uh, quests, we call them missions, that basically give you things that you can do. There is no story quest. There's no major storyline that you're railroaded down. Yep. You could spend the entire game just delivering cargo, yep. or you could spend the entire game upgrading your ship and building a fleet and you know running a transport empire. But you could also spend the whole time as a pirate just. Pillaging ships. Yep, become a pirate king or or a bounty hunter. We have somebody who actually uh, we're setting up a a bounty hunter kind of. It's not even a class, but you know, I mean, there are going to be a lot more bounty hunter missions, so you can be a bounty hunter simply because that's you yeah. Know. And bounties involve things like yeah. catching smugglers and catching pirates and things like that and turning them in. Yep. Okay, that's actually really cool. So what, dang cool. What are, you, what are you smuggling? What kinds of goods do you smuggle? That's the fun part about it. We've set up the, uh, the way the, the universe is set up. Everything in there, every item has a, you know, a, a place in origin and a place of destination. And the rules can vary on what they are. So you could buy something that's completely legitimate in Solar System 1 and go to Solar System 2 where that thing is completely illegal. And they will literally take your ship if they catch you with it. So, so even if so, you're passing through. So you have to figure out ways to get things because you can make a heck of a lot more. Think of it like um, Smoking the Bandit, right? They're smuggling beer, which second. was legal everywhere except for the county they were smuggling it into. Very true. So can, if you lose your ship, do you <clears> have to like buy another one with money you acquire <laughs> in the game? or you? Yep. yep. If you lose your ship, you lose your ship, and you have to start over oh again from. So don't get caught. Whatever money you pay. Okay, uh, you're giving me vibes from Midnight Club LA. Do you know how mad I would get when I'd lose some pink slips in that game? Oh my yep. gosh! Oh, yeah. Yeah, one of the big, in- <laughs> a couple of the big influences for smugglers were Privateer, obviously, which I mean, Privateer has influenced most modern space games, and also Endless Sky, which is which is sort of like a 2D version of what we're doing. It's, it's much more, um, it, it's much more oriented on the, the bookkeeping, I think, than, than what we're doing, but you know, it definitely has that, that chance that you have the risk and reward. I like that a lot. I think that's really a good lesson too, for younger people that yeah. play to understand that. Like, I like it when game has heavy consequences like that. So I think that's pretty cool. Does it have ways like, are there different classes or can you, can you, add skills or do specific builds that you know can you there go like indeed, yeah there is indeed a skill build you can do yeah yes yeah, cool. so you have you have a, a skill set that you can actually build up and uh, the skill set is basically areas of expertise that you can spend points on and you gain points by completing missions by completing jobs by discovering things by scanning things and uh, we're following very much the you use a skill to increment the skill kind of uh, strategy Okay. Exactly. So you improve your astrogation skill by doing scans and such. And, and, you know, plotting courses. And that astrogation skill comes in handy because you get tipped off to where pirates are going to be. And you get better at scanning and you can scan further and you can find precious ore that you can sell and things like that, right? You can find things to salvage. So using the skill improves the skill. 
and then you can also spend points that you get. Um, if you if you remember how Fable's skill tree worked, it's very similar to Fable. Oh wow! Okay, I I have to say I'm completely getting like Boba Fett vibes. Like I just keep I I can't in my brain I just keep thinking that this is like uh, I'm I'm getting like this really cool Star Wars Boba Fett kind of vibe. I don't know if that ever crossed your radar, but I keep thinking that like I, I would feel like the Mandalorian. I think. Playing that, the is, game. that has definitely crossed our radar because uh, one of the one of our backers on the Patreon is a huge fan of it, and that was his specific direction. And we were like, you know, that's something that we can accommodate, and so we have we have made a few adjustments specifically to make that easier. Yep. Wow, how cool is that? So then, that's a great thing about indie games. They listen to people and make things cool as hell, and they can kind yeah, of do I whatever do. they want. Yeah. Yeah, we don't have to go market test it. We already have somebody who's been willing to put money into it and say that they would do this. And we're like, yeah. we can make that better for you. Yep. Yep. Fan- fantastic. Now, you said it wasn't very story heavy. I assume, is there some story? I mean, is there a, a plot line and a, and a clear beginning and an end? Or how how, no, how does... Many stories. Say that there, again. There are, just, there are actually many stories. So what happens is you may come across, in fact, one of the characters you come across in the very beginning is voiced by the awesome Our Day Gamer right over there. And he actually uh, voices a character called Bad Luck Bart. And a Bart is an AI bartender, like a robot drink slinger. And this one just happens to have extremely bad luck. And But he's got a great beard. And he does. He has a beard. He is, he is a big fan of beards because he noticed that all the Cygnus Pizza Race champions had beards. And while he's not sure what they're supposed to be for or what they do, he bought one. He <laughs> <laughs> had one 3D printed specifically for him. So, so oh, no, go ahead. Okay. So, uh, so for example, this character starts you off on one of the first actual uh, storylines, which is you go and you find a friend of his who owes him a lot of money who crashed on a planet someplace. And you go find and retrieve this player or this this character. That's interesting. So all of the stories are really centralized around the mission content. Should you choose to do those, exactly. But the, okay, so but the main objective of the game doesn't have a definitive starter endpoint or a specific exactly. story narrative. So you can go spend as many hours as you want chasing pirates and smuggling yeah. pizza and exactly right repatriating people back home safely exactly for example one of the storylines that we have uh you actually come into an area where a space station has just basically wandered into an asteroid belt so you destroy a bunch of the asteroids you bring in a whole lot of con a whole lot of um content a whole lot of stuff (laughs) parts essentially for the uh the space station to rebuild construction equipment and things like that and then as the space station finishes getting rebuilt once they're finally done, you then get special privileges and huge discounts at that station. That is super cool. I, I think I'm getting a little bit of like the Outer Worlds vibe, a little bit, and a little bit. it's a little bit. Yeah, it's kind of yeah, it's like that Fallout and space sort of for a bit. What inspired? How did you come up with this idea? I mean, what just went poof? Smugglers of Cygnus. What what inspired this? Well, we made a game that we wanted to play that we didn't see. I mean, believe me, I would rather be spending this time playing games rather than making them. Making games sucks. So I would, yeah, I would much rather be playing this game, but it doesn't exist. I thought it was going to, 
yeah. I've I've backed a number of projects that should have been this game, but yeah. they never turned out. It, it, I mean, I could I could fire more shots at specifics, <laughs> but I I put money down into a number of games that were kickstarted that should yeah. have been this game, but weren't. Yeah, it, <laughs> it started actually as a game we were we were pre thinking of a, a game called Space Truckers of the Delta V. Mm-hmm. We actually were thinking of making a uh, a um a space a, trucking a game, space basically. trucking game, yeah. That was the, the whole point. You would sit there and you would you would uh, fly around as an alien, um, you know, trucker. Because that was supposed because to exist, but, to exist but, didn't but didn't get didn't made. Get, get made. You know, yeah. you've got Elite Dangerous, which was supposed to more or less do that, but that didn't. You've got you've got a uh, um, No Man's Sky that was supposed to do that and then didn't. You've got Robert Space Industries collection of whatever the hell they're working on that is supposed to do this and then didn't. And all of these turned into things that completely missed the mark that I was looking for, which was a a chill way to just kind of enjoy traveling in space in a sci-fi kind of world where you didn't feel like you were constantly under the gun of either a plot wagon or having to, you know, spend your entire time literally just mining. Yeah. That actually yeah, makes one, complete sense. Yeah. One of the things that um, Miguel and uh, our one of our sons, uh, one of our kids did, was um, they would actually play um, Grand Theft Auto, but do this this kind of thing of you would do a trick horse. horse, where basically you know how you play that basketball game horse, where if you, you explain it, I'm not okay. So so <laughs> I'm not sure where she's going with this, but yeah. So we used to play Grand Theft Auto with my kids and we would we would then do like a stunt or whatever like you'd have to jump out of the aircraft and land on a specific building and then the other person would have to reproduce that and then do the next trick or you know they would get the letter you know just like horse and the the point being is that they spent so much time not doing the main um storyline the main storyline was a thing of i don't care about the main storyline you know, and that's actually a lot of that whole open world thing uh, that we're trying to feel is oh, I imagine, see yeah, imagine having kind of like one of those really great open world games, but without a main storyline to, you know, hold you back. Yeah, we, play it. I guess the the way I would put that is we felt like the the real advantage to games like uh, train sim or truck simulators or any of these these sorts of games is that they give you a world that you can play in that's not a strictly open world where you're like, what do I even do? You know, No Man's Sky style where you're just like, great. Okay, I found a world in an alien. Who the hell cares? <laughs> but you have, you have something that you can do that will get you to the next point if you want to, but you also have the ability to more or less ignore that if you want to. And I, I think that's where she's going is, is we felt that yeah. there needed to be something like that but sci-fi and because space is fun and also we wanted to avoid humans entirely because of the obvious every game that involves humans involves human politics and there's there's all this politics about what voice actors you can use for what and and what representation your characters have and these things are important but we didn't want to be involved in these so we're like you know what a purple alien can sound like whatever the hell a purple alien sounds like that is very true there is actually a lot of, I mean, it, it's a sci-fi writer writing this. There's a yeah. lot of very deep politics in the sci-fi. But the nice thing is it's all in the sci-fi, and you don't have to engage with any of it if you don't want to. So, Jess, 
is the assumption, can I make the assumption that you have written all of the, the questing and, and the story and the characters and everything? Uh, I'm in the middle of writing it, but yeah, because I, I'm... There's a I, lot of it. There's a lot of it, and also part of it is uh, I, I have written fiction novels before. Huge fan of uh, Path books. I love them. I had a, I had a huge collection as a kid of, uh, of the Choose Your Own Path, you know, uh, type books. And um, <clears throat> so I, I guess they call them game books or whatever. I know everyone... Every, the, Choose your own adventure is definitely the best term for him because yeah, everyone the, knows that. Yeah, except the, the they get a the actual publisher gets salty when you actually use that. But they're like path. <laughs> Sorry, Miguel just made a rude hand gesture. Rude hand gesture at me. <laughs> um, That's funny. <laughs> anyway, so yeah, no, um, uh, writing it. Um, I'm more of an end user as a. Uh, as a computer person. So I'm getting to really understand what's going on behind the scenes, um, building games and quests and stuff. And, uh, we're getting a foundation down, um, basically done most of the world building and we have characters and stuff. So it's going to be a lot of it's character driven. A lot of it is what, what, um, unreal can and can't do. <laughs> and that seems to be the biggest thing because I'm like, oh, you know, can we do this kind of quest and that kind of quest? And I was like, um, I don't know. Let's find out. Let's find out. And a lot of that is I'm learning what the limitations are of the engine that we're using to be able to build quests that won't just crash. Yeah, there comes a point with branching storylines that it gets beyond what it can really keep track of easily. Yeah. Ah, uh, that is an interesting point because one of the questions that I make up the questions as we go. Um, one of the questions I was going to ask you is how do you storyboard what you're going to do based on the game? But I never thought about that. You have to understand the limitations and the possibilities of what you can do with your technology to then storyboard your ideas around that. Exactly. Yeah. Cause we do a lot of branching storylines because branching storylines are a big, a big factor for Jess being a, a writer. Yeah. And the the difficulty is making sure that the branching storylines can actually happen, which is a little bit trickier than it should be. Honestly, one of the biggest the biggest limitations is gamepads. I don't think people realize how unbelievably limiting a gamepad is as an interaction tool. Yeah, the, the controllers, your you Xbox mean like the controller. the little? Do you mean like the pad in the middle or the the deep the D pad? The whole. Thing. I mean, I mean like an Xbox controller. The controllers, oh. uh, Xbox, um, PlayStation controllers. I, I think the best the best point on this was um, when Lord British was doing uh, Shroud of the Avatar, mm -hmm. the, the newest one that they did. He decided that what he had wanted was he wanted a text-driven engine where you would, you would ask the NPCs questions or make statements to the NPCs, and the NPCs would interpret these statements and then do whatever with them, right? And they ended up having to dumb that down to the point of, okay, you can click on the things and then you can build questions based off the things that you click on. And then everybody ends up eventually at the same Elder Scrolls type. You get these three things you can ask them about. Because yep. while the technology on the game side exists to do amazing things, you can do voice recognition and all this great stuff, the input technology doesn't exist. Yeah. So... Are you saying it's easier to develop a game for somebody playing with a keyboard and a mouse because there's more yeah. options that you can offer them? Vastly. For example, really? 
for example, imagine you're using an Xbox controller and you're supposed to ask an NPC freeform questions that you then have to pick out on a keyboard. Uh, yeah, how many? Very few people have the Xbox keyboard, and then on <laughs> yeah, top of it, right. you have to have tiny enough fingers to touch to actually key yeah, that stuff in. I mean, in. that's not something that you want to do. You don't want to use that little on-screen keyboard and pick out, you know, where would I go to find the Firefall crystal that I, I last heard of in this other mission. So, if you're making a game that's multi-platform, right, you have to have the scalability in mind, knowing that. All of the functionality is going to have to work on a console controller, basically. Precisely. You have that lowest common denominator, and you have to focus on consoles do not have voice authentication. They do yep. not have voice interpretation, so yep. you can't use voice. Yep. They, they don't have keyboards, mm -hmm. and they have a variety of different layouts. And then while you're there, you also have to say, look, I want to make sure that people can play this game if they have disabilities or if they have some other impairment that requires them to play a little bit differently. And so what you end up with is you end up with a pick list yeah. and a pick list really infuriated Jess because she's like, I don't want to have just three options for this. I want them to be able to do all these various things that I can imagine that the player could do. Yep. And it's like, we can do that, but the player can't do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, a lot of it is accessibility. It's about, it's about, um, Imagine this game being a color wheel and you're kind of moving around and you have some limitations. Yeah, you know, and the limitations it, right? are really determined by input technology, which mm -hmm. is the saddest yeah. thing ever. It's yeah. it's the horse's ass theory of, of the Apollo project. So let me let me ask you guys, um, when you started this, when you first had the idea of, hey, we're going to make Smugglers of Cygnus, um, did you have game, pad, game pads in mind? Or did you nope. originally go in thinking keyboard and mouse only and then players kind of said, hey, we would like a gamepad. <laughs> oh, see, see that, that's a funny question, Eric, because you know the answer to that one. <laughs> oh, yes, you do. But that, I know the answer. Right there. I, I will admit I have sausage fingers and all these buttons on the keyboard and everything, it, there's just too many of them. I can't keep track of them. That's so it, it works much better for me to have a gamepad. So, yeah, I, I kind of kept on and kept on like, hey, we need controller support. We need controller support. So I, I want to <laughs> add on to that. And I'm glad you asked because obviously viewers, you know, need to know these things. I've always been a console player. I love them. It's just easier for me. Yeah, rule. But I didn't, I'm only now starting to realize the limitations that they do create yeah. in the development world. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know that making that scalability structure was so drastically different. Yeah, it's um, it's definitely different. I love consoles because, actually, to be honest, I love anything that is is designed for a single specific target because you can just design the hell out of it for that target. I I made things for the Commodore sixty four that obviously were tailor made for a Commodore sixty four, and I made things for the Mac Plus that ran in you know five twelve k of memory that were tailor made for just that experience that would look really silly if you were to watch it on a 4K television because you'd be like, are you kidding me with this? These, these look like crap. It's and true. you could do the same thing with, with a gamepad or a keyboard or whatever. But anything that's going to have a variety of inputs or a variety of, of ways of interacting with it, you have to figure out where can I scale and how can I scale and what things do I have to uh, prune? And yeah, when it comes to, to certain kinds of genres, like simulations are a big one. Consoles are so far behind in the simulation yeah. genre; it's not even funny. I mean, you can plug a 
a steering wheel and a, a throttle pedal and a, a straight H gear shifter and a button box and, you know, a, a control panel into your PC. And you can have the exact cockpit out of a, you know, either a Freightliner or a Boeing 747 if you want to. But awesome. on a gamepad, you have 16 buttons. So interesting. So does that... It's, so your your game, the only platform it's on is PC, but you've had to scale some of these things back so that you can accommodate hours fat fingers. I mean, the 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 ability <laughs> the ability for people to use remotes. <laughs> um, using remotes, though, I'm really glad you touched on accessibility. Accessibility is a really big one for me. Um, yeah, it's a big one for us too. We work really hard at that. There yeah. are so much. I feel like there are sometimes more accessibility options with controller base. Uh, Microsoft yes. is phenomenal at accessibility options. I love yes. my PS5, um, but PlayStation, you guys, do, on the software side, wonderful accessibility options, but we need, we need more hardware options out uh, there. Microsoft did a great bit with that new accessibility controller and the extra options they've got. And uh, the bit that Steven Spawn was talking about recently, I, I hope I'm pronouncing his name right, um, he had a, a bit where, because Forza allows you to have the acceleration and the steering broken out to multiple players and the multiple controllers, he was able to race in Forza for the first time in his life because a friend of his was able to drive while he was able to control the throttle. And he was just so elated by that. And it's like, that's that's the kind of experience that matters. Yep. You know, I so you really, really do have to make those efforts for, for colorblindness, for photosensitivity, yep. Yep. for for controller use and impairment, things like that. And, you know, while it does change how you can you can drive your interactions in certain kinds of simulations, train sim being the worst possible example of it. I, I adore train sim, but their their port to console is nearly unplayable because of how they tried to accommodate gamepads with it. Whereas truck sim does great. Um, Interesting. And the, um, the thing is, you have to design these in from the beginning or you end up where train simulator was. Now, I don't know if, if you guys have ever played um, The Last of Us 2, which had incredible software side accessibility options. I mean, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I think I believe they won several awards for it. I mean, they took into account different types of colorblindness, different types of hearing impairments. They did fantastic. I haven't. so much on the software side. Um, which I think is incredible. I was actually playing a JRPG, um, and I know Nintendo is the worst. I mean, they just—I don't—I don't think that's as big of a thing in Japan for development companies. And I actually—and this was in the DLC—I was 115 hours into this game and couldn't get through a palace because I have a partial color blindness and couldn't tell the difference in the colors to solve the puzzles, and they had no accessibility options. Yeah, see, and that's just, that's one of the things I work really hard to avoid. Like, we spent the first two months on Smugglers of Cygnus actually designing a UI that could be <clears throat> recolored by the player to any color palette they yeah. wanted. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, so a lot, of, a lot of our stuff is going, develop is going, development is going slower because we're we're baking in the accessibility yeah. layer by layer by layer. Oh yeah, I spent all of March just simply working on the gamepad accessibility on stuff that was literally already done. And I was like, oh crap, I'm trying this for the gamepad and it's not working properly. And Ready Set was like, you know, 
a race at indie games was like, you know, my gamepad doesn't work on these screens. And I was like, well, no, why would it? <laughs> I, I, I love her. I recently I met her and I love her. Well, I need to go redo that because yep. me being a person who does not use gamepads, I mean, I use them very rarely. I have really bad arthritis in my yeah. right hand, especially. So gamepads for me aren't terribly comfortable to hold or use. So I really don't ever use them. And I never grew up with gamepads. I grew up always as a Keyboard as a arcade gamer originally, and then yeah. and then a a PC gamer who used arcade type accessories. Because I'm like, you you use the tools that are built by the developer for what this game is going to have, right? Yeah. I mean, you don't want to play Virtua Fighter on a keyboard. That would suck, right? You play Virtua Fighter with a Virtua Fighter fighting stick, <laughs> right? Yeah, we used to actually have um, almost full size. I mean, this this is a pretty big thing. It's the size of uh, it was oh, the yeah, size yeah, of yeah. like a. Uh, uh, <clears throat> large tablet which had the joystick and the buttons set up like you would get it on a console in a in a arcade yeah yeah i definitely had the full arcade setup because that was the primary yeah. type of uh of interaction i used especially on playstation yeah. was was an arcade stick mm -hmm. for all the arcade fighters because i i never could figure out how to use the gamepad to, to do virtua fighter yeah. or any of that kind of stuff it was always or double dragon or anything it was yeah. always i used the arcade controls right and then there were the the um, I think we're getting wheels. Off on a, yeah, I think we're getting off on a tangent though. Yeah. But, but no, yeah. not at all. This is good stuff. I actually love yeah. Double Dragon. Was one of my favorite games growing up. Love oh, that shit. Double Dragon. Double Dragon and Golden Axe freaking rule. Yeah. So we had the we had the sticks, and then we also had um the wheels for the uh, racing games. The wheels yep. and the yep. and the shifter knobs mm -hmm. and the um the uh, breaking. And um, the pedals that never stick the pedals quite right. That never stick quite right. Yeah. The the brake and the clutch, have to have the clutch, brake, clutch, gas, and um, and then the flight sticks. Oh my oh god! Oh my god! I have Such spent so much money flight on flight sticks. That's one thing that makes me go, "Oh my god!" I should get into PC gaming. Is just playing like flight. I would play flight simulator. Like I would just travel all over the world. I would enjoy that so much, yeah, but I yes. would need the yes. funny, done that. <laughs> funny story. A little, we're going to go a little bit off, but we're allowed to do whatever yeah, we want because this is our episode. I was watching a video of these guys who were trying to make their own driving simulator with a PC and they were building it, and putting it together. And they said, we want to make it <laughs> realistic if there's a crash. So they built this little pneumatic piece that would push yeah. your gaming chair forward. And the dude, went so far he shot out of it and like broke the computer screen and he like flew oh, the guy across. Oh my god. I saw that that video. Was, it was so oh, funny. Oh dear. I couldn't, I couldn't stop laughing. <laughs> That's fantastic. It's like some shit we would do like drinking a few beers. Oh, we'll put this thing back here and throw ourselves out. It's not a big deal. Um 2020 PSI should be plenty. Uh, oh yeah. my god. So I want to ask this question. This might be a very hard question and each of you might have okay. different answers, but I'm curious what has been or what's one, what's one, what's one, what's the hardest thing been for you? Like in relation to development or animation, what is one of the hardest things to do about this project? I would say the hardest thing to do with game development is actually to sell it. Oh God. Marketing is so marketing. It's, 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 <laughs> I mean, I've yeah. been I've been doing code since 1983 or four, and I've written code that flies aircraft, and I've written code that that routes ambulances, and I've written code that helps doctors get you know patient records faster, and I've written code that makes games, and 
all kinds of stuff. And I don't think there's a code problem that can't be solved. But my God, marketing is the hardest nut to crack. Yeah, no, it's 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 impossible. You can have a really good product, and if you don't literally have a marketing group or or some kind of uh, means to actually get that groundswell, yeah, and that's that's the hardest part. It really is one of those things of like they say on Twitter, yeah. having having a thousand really committed people is more important than having um than having, having millions like, of dollars yeah millions of dollars or even actually one of those one of those well super, look at new world well, new cyberpunk world. cyberpunk, <laughs> cyberpunk. <laughs> new world's the perfect example they took they put so much money into new world and the instant the astroturfing campaign stopped it dead just flat yeah. dead yeah it's it, like those, and, and um, oh gosh, the, the most heartbreaking thing I hear is when someone's like, oh my gosh, this person with like a thousand, or, or sorry, a million Twitter followers, uh, or yeah, a million Twitter followers retweeted me, or this person with a uh, Twitch streamer with a with a hundred thousand people on all the time, you know, is playing my game. It doesn't do anything. Oh my God. Yeah. It killed really? me when that happened to, um, uh, uh. Oh, shoot. What's that one where you play death? Um, oh, God. Death and taxes. Death and taxes. Yeah, death and taxes was... Oh, we, yeah, we, call that, death, we call that real life. Yeah, so we <laughs> yeah. the death and taxes folks, right? And the, yeah. the death and taxes folks, really great team. Yeah, oh, gosh, yeah. Uh, when, when they got their, their game played and positively mm-hmm. reviewed by uh, Markiplier, they were so excited because they were like, oh, my God, it's going to make it because, you know, we just had it played to 2.3 million YouTube video viewers and he loved it and it was fantastic and it made no difference to their sales chart no, at all. No, None of them nothing. bought it. Nobody bought what? it. It just, it didn't matter yeah, because no. the, the overlap between mm-hmm. what Markiplier's people are there to see and death and taxes was virtually zero. Yeah. So then... We, ha- we had much better <laughs> success when our here actually played GYATM. Yeah. Love that Our game, by the way. Himself, right there, played GYATM and doubled the sales on it yep. overnight. Yes. Yep. Okay, because so then how did you do that when those other people could, what What? What? what well, was like, different? I, I think that's what he's saying is, uh, like, about the overlap, you know, Markiplier or whatever, I've never even heard of the guy. Um, what, you know, who his viewers are there to watch triple a games or a certain genre, watch him play certain things. Okay. So even if he does bring up an indie game, they're like, okay, we'll watch the video, but we're okay. not, we don't really care about that indie game. Okay. Whereas people that come to my streams or a lot of the community, the people that are in my community, um, we're all indie streamers. So when somebody okay. comes to my stream and they see a cool looking game, like, Hey, they're going to go pick. They're probably going to go pick it up, or they're okay. at least going to check into it or wish yeah, list it exactly. or whatever. That's on yeah. me. Um, so. I didn't quite follow because I didn't know who that other person was, so I wasn't following. Okay. I, I love so much that neither of you guys who know one of the biggest YouTubers is. I love that so much. I actually, I don't even, I don't even think I would recognize a Kardashian. I don't, I don't know popular like, stuff. The funny neck things, right? The Kardashians. They, yeah, I, the Kardashian neck trick. They were on DS Nine. I don't know. I, I'm not. I don't. Well, like my I son, he my son's really big into Elden Elden Ring right now, and he's watching this big YouTuber play it. And you know, he he watches Minecraft videos with uh, Jack Septic Guy and all that stuff. I'm like, I don't have any interest in that. I want to 
septic wanna, guy? Yeah, septic eye, I think is, is what it is. But, yep. Like um, like poop eye? Yes. I, I think so, yes. Exactly. <laughs> like has a terrible disease in his eye, and honestly, he should have go see a doctor for that. Yeah, exactly. Ah. Like yeah. But like, yeah, he, he watches all these people, and I've never heard of them. Um, but yeah, they won't, even if they did play an indie game, it just, it wouldn't, it wouldn't yeah, translate it's, it's with right their, their audience. Okay. So the, the, the trick that's then with the indie parts. games is to get, it's the, it's the target audience, right? That's mainly what makes marketing work is it's the bigger trip. And I think most people do gravitate to AAA games. Most marketing is geared towards yeah. AAA games. I mean, you, yeah go onto the PlayStation store, you're going to see a lot of AAA games. Only. Well, and, and I think even if it's an indie game, if they had a marketing budget, the size of these AAA games, like, I mean, like Elden Ring, for example, you know, I was watching my son play it. I know for a fact I can count on, you know, I can pick out several games right now that, that are indie games that look just as good, that will play just as good, and be probably more fun, have a better story, and everything, you know, be an all-around better game, but they they just cannot get, they can't reach the gamers. Whereas if they had a multi-million dollar marketing budget alone, I guarantee you these people would love these games. But, or you're going to have to hide in a basement because the Elden Ring gang is going to oh, come gonna after you for that. But trust me, hey, if, if anybody that Not loves really. Elden Ring wants a game that's that's better than Elden Ring, Hit me up. I will send you their Twitter handles, and you can see it for yourself. They I, are going to be great games. I want to call. I actually, I, I want to call a few people out on that. I want to. I want to. I want to propose that we do a Twitter challenge and have a couple people try that out. Yeah, we should. I, we should consider doing that. <laughs> but, but to the point that I was making, the hardest yeah. part being being marketing is marketing. Even if you have the kind of budget. <clears throat> That say EA uses for games like it takes two, right? That little EA gem that won ridiculous indie categories, even though it's an EA game. Yeah, where the the marketing budget is a ten to one against the development budget, which is yeah. how things work in AAA. Yeah. It doesn't matter if you're hitting the wrong people, right? Because even even if you take a game like it takes two, most people weren't into that game at all. No, right? And the people who were thought it was an indie game that they were supporting. Yeah. And then the people who who knew that it was a triple A game and were into it were like this tiny minority. They had to buy themselves into leading these game categories. And my favorite comment watching these when it won videos was, What the hell is this game? I actually I haven't finished it, but I loved it. I didn't I don't actually know I have a hard time knowing if a game is an indie. I'm gonna be honest with you. If I Google it and it says, Okay, this is an indie game, I don't I, I don't know. I don't know what the rules are. I don't know how to right. how, how do you how do you tell as a consumer? Well, yes, yeah, and, and it doesn't matter, right? You shouldn't care as a consumer. You should yeah. be like, this is a great game, yeah. and I enjoy playing it. Yeah, right. That's really that's really all it is. Is uh, you know, it is about, about and, and that's my point about the the hardest part of game development is the marketing because if you have a fortune behind it and you make and you make New World you can fall on your face just as easily as if you have no money behind it and you make Valheim. Or, yeah. I mean, I, God, I always shit on Ubisoft. I, I play their games. Oh, I've yeah. spent a ton of money on them, but I feel like every <laughs> other episode, I'm, I'm taking a septic eye on Ubisoft, <laughs> but they got sloppy because of money and their games have suffered and it's very microtransaction heavy and 
They yeah. just get to sit and kind of deliver. I don't know what I'm going to get with them, but indie teams just have a harder time surviving. And I assumed it was maybe budget or team size, but it sounds like it's because of the the marketing. The, the, the budgets aren't yeah. there for the marketing and consumers. Maybe we have the wrong mentality of how we're viewing the industry. I think that may be true. I mean, yeah. let me say I have 99 problems and money would solve 97 of them. That's but, true. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. realistically, even if you were to take a, a small game and you give it a huge market, like a death loop, right? Yeah. Small yeah. game, good publisher, good game. The people who hate on death loop, I mean, they really hate death loop. Right. And yet, you know, it's, it's doing its best. And it's a it's a solid game. The problem really is is with marketing, especially with indie games, because we don't have the money to just spread it like peanut butter on everything. It's finding the gamers who want to play the game that's been made. And I think yeah. that there's there's gamers for every game. There's people oh, yeah. who love Perfect World. Oh, yeah. There's yeah. people who love New World. There's people who love Kirby. Right. There's somebody for every game. The question is the same problem we had in books. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And this is this is an old problem because I dealt with this when I was in the music industry and we dealt with this with the book publishing and we dealt with this with everything. It's every creative product has a group of people who absolutely will love this product and will click with it. But finding them is the single hardest challenge in the entire modern culture. Which is why I said having a thousand really dedicated yes. true believers is the greatest thing. You have to do grassroots. It's it, it makes me think about, you know, what we were talking about with the indie thing. It makes me think about the, uh, was it GTC last year where that one, where a whole bunch of, you know, garage devs came in. They're like, yeah, yeah, about music. <laughs> and we were like, okay, how to do music on a budget? Yes, it was, it was um, um, doing the, doing the soundtrack for your indie game on a budget. On a budget. Was okay. the name of the, was the name of the presentation. That okay. was at, at, I believe it was GDC in um, was 2020. 2020. Okay. And, and all of us indie devs were in there and we're all like, yes, this is fantastic because it costs 250 bucks a minute to get soundtrack work done. Yeah. We're, we're all, yeah, I'm not kidding. Yeah. Uh, we're all excited yeah. about this. This is fantastic. How do we get this done on a budget? And the advice was fly your team and fly the musicians to a specific cathedral in Prague instead of going all over Europe to these different orchestras, if you, if you fly the orchestras to just one cathedral and you record all day, it's cheaper with than if your you, friends, yeah. yeah, with your friends than if you actually go to 10 or 12 different cathedrals and hire 10 or 12 different orchestras, particularly in Paris. And everyone Paris in the chat Paris. was like, the what? fuck, what? But <laughs> that makes me think of, I'm sorry. I'm just going to say it. I'm going to bring Kim K up. She said something stupid. Like nobody wants to work. I'm, you know what, Kim? I should have been smart enough to be born to rich parents that could have loaned me a few millions of dollars. Right? Like yeah. that sounds as silly as that. What? Oh, what a budget! Let me just buy forty tickets to fucking Prague. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And for multiple orchestras I, to all do it the same day. Let me just book out an entire cathedral. I can't even imagine <laughs> what that costs. And so and then, these guys are indie. They are part of the same indie, large indie category. So what I call them is like double a and these are single a and double a studios because essentially triple a are like three guys 
That's it. And then the rest <laughs> yeah, of us like are three fighting. companies. Yeah. Yeah. Three companies. So basically your, your garage dev who basically is trying to make their game on their min wage job versus um, some, some group who basically is able to put in 60 million. Well, what's the, what's the line that they say? It's, it's millions. It's in the millions. Well, uh, the money line that I come up with for for indie because people always ask what's indie, and I always go to the um, the chart that's on Statista from I think the the most recent one was twenty twenty, and it has um, and it has game development budgets by or game development uh, income by company right, and there's three companies that are in the twenty billion a year plus range. God dang, and then. By the time you get to fifth place, you're talking like fifty million is your company's entire budget. So it's a like the, the line between like first place and fifth place is like the GDP of an entire country. You know who's in first place? Could we try to guess? It's Activision Yay. Blizzard. Oh, oh, Blizzard. Oh, I was gonna. I was actually gonna ask if it was either Tencent or or Take Two with because Rockstar made like that much money on Grand Theft Auto Online. <laughs> It was actually Activision Blizzard. It's probably Tencent now because Microsoft bought them, but yeah. So then, let okay, I think what I understand, right, is single A, double A, triple A, Project Dark thinks they're going to do a quadruple A, is basically how much money have I spent? <laughs> I, I mean, that's the way I look at it. I right. always not, necessar- not necessarily quality of product, but how much I, money, how much have, money I have I spent, it? right? <laughs> yeah. So, I thought that indie development simply meant an independent studio, right? That that self-published their own games or that had to yeah. go source out their software. But how should we as consumers, right? So me and the masses who like to consume games, who maybe don't know everything we need to know, should we be looking at this deeper? Should we look at it and go, well, there's different levels of indie? Because technically, Hazel Light Studio is considered an indie. But mm-hmm. pub- publishing with EA got them huge budgets and huge yes. marketing agreements. Yep. Yeah. So is that really the key is the publishing aspect? And if you're self-publishing, then you're losing that person's financial support and their ability to help you push the, the product. It, it oh, yeah. Be- yeah. I mean, that's the difference between the first page on the Microsoft dashboard and someplace in the ID at Xbox pages. So that's like the best place to hide a dead body is on page two of Google. Nobody goes there. So I kind of get that. So then what, what can people do? So if people love indies, which by the way, I'm a firm believer that even some large studios like Naughty Dog keep their indie mentality, despite being no longer an independent studio that makes some really great studios. Yeah. So how do people, right? So consumers, people who like indie games, what are the best ways that they can support the games that they like? What are the best ways that people can get the word out that can help support these projects? Honestly, I think, and what I always tell people is, you know, find Twitch streamers and podcasters who review games that you like. Yeah. Because it's the streamers and the podcasters that make yes. any of it work. Yeah. Yeah. So follow hour a day gamer <laughs> is what I just heard. I don't stream, I don't stream yeah. very much, but, but, but I mean, doing what you do, nobody even knows the games exist because there's yeah. there are quite literally over a thousand new games a month coming out on Steam. What? Um, okay. 
a thousand new games a month. And how many do the heavy gamers play a year? 20, 25. That's a minuscule fraction. Possibly, possibly four. Yeah. I mean, most people play whatever their friends play. They will play the same FIFA or the same Call of Duty because it's what their friends play and they use it to socialize, which is a great use of a game. So they play maybe two games. I mean, like, the guy that does our translations, who's a wonderful dude, I, I absolutely adore him. He plays two games. He only has two games. He owns two games. And those two games are FIFA 19 and FIFA 18. I always thought I didn't play a lot of games, but I damn sure play a lot more than that. I'm, I, I love, I do kind of play a lot of games. I'm kind of a, uh, like, no, Brenda, I'm not coming to your baby shower. I'm playing video games. Don't invite me. Yeah. Um, <laughs> like 100 hours into this game. But see, that's what he plays it for, is he plays FIFA with his friends. And there's nothing at all wrong with that, nor, nor would I say there is. But if people want to find more weird, rare, awesome games, it's sort of like if you want to find weird music, listen to college radio, yeah, right? Yeah. Because college radio is always going to have the weird music that you haven't heard. The, the equivalent to that for video games is find the, the Twitch podcasters and the, and the Twitch game players and the the Glimish ones and the YouTube ones who are reviewing a whole variety of different games because you're going to find all kinds of stuff and you're going to like some of it. I mean, I, I can think of, right, a, I mean, our, between you, Ready, Set, Indie, and Steven Galaxy, that's a lot of indies that I'm subject to that I never would. I can't tell you how many games Hour has introduced me to just indies alone in okay. the last year and indie developers. Yeah. So it's it's connecting with the right, I guess that's probably the best advice you could give anybody in industry. Connect with the person who offers you the content you want to consume. Exactly. I love Stephen Galaxy. He's he's weird. He's silly. He does a lot of mobile games. His balloons fetish. Yeah. Oh my god. (laughs) I love him. He's so cool. Um, But but I tend to actually watch mostly the people who do different games every stream because then I get to see a whole load of different games, and I really really love that. Yeah, Garden of Indie actually is really good. Garden is yeah. wonderful. Yeah, you you go in and and basically there's a Garden of Indie does a lot like um, Ready Set, where it's multiple indie indie games played. Yeah, every over stream the, over the stream, so you actually get a chance to you know if you don't like the first game, you know wait a half an hour to an hour and you'll get to see the next game. Yeah, and, and there's the a lot to game, that. And the next game, and, and there is. It's literally like getting to go through and, and getting reviews. Yeah, and there's so many great people, and we we yeah. found a lot of them through our Cygnus Pizza Race tournaments yes. because, yes. you know, all these all these great indie streamers would then say, "Oh, hey, my buddy's got to get into this tournament." Yep. And we'd go watch them, and we're like, "Oh my god, this is such a great streamer!" And we'd watch yep. them, and then so we have a whole lot of streamers that we watch. I I often have like five or seven tabs up, yeah. and I'm watching everybody because there's yeah. so much stuff. And I don't want to miss any of it. Now so, I had to say. You guys making that mini game, the 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 um, Cygnus Pizza Race, Cygnus Pizza Race, yep. make it for anybody who doesn't know, right? So what Longplay did is they took a mini game, a racing game that that's kind of centered on the world building, right? And the in the idea yep. of Smugglers yep. of Cygnus, and did yep. a tournament and brought all these indie folks in and had some yep. really cool opportunities and and prizes. That was yep. fucking brilliant. Well, thank you. It was awesome. That, that was, was a, I, it was fun. I could literally spend my whole life making racing games. I love yeah, racing games. Yeah. Our, why don't you take a little bit of time for anybody who didn't 
watch the episode that we did last where we kind of recapped mm-hmm. our favorite indies and talk about can you can you actually still get the the pizza race game yeah. is that game still okay yeah. so if people can still get it um why don't you take a minute to talk about it to maybe encourage folks to try it it's just a a classic arcade style racer it's 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 pure racing ability there's no like blue shells that's going to come up and kick you in the ass you know whenever you're in first place but it's just so cool because it's pure arcade racing uh, that reminds me of games that I played, you know, back on like PlayStation, PlayStation 2, just just pure racing. And um, so basically the story is uh, there's this pizza federation. Correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, long play and Jess, um, you know, and these drivers, that's like a coveted job is to uh be able to get hired by this company to deliver pizzas galactically. You know, you drive pizzas all over the galaxy. So they create this tournament every year and the winner of the tournament, this is talking in game, not real life, obviously. Um, so you're in the game, the winner of this tournament become, they, they get a job, they get a contract with this pizza company that delivers pizzas. And it's, it's just the coveted job that everybody wants to win. You know, you'll pull out, all the stops to win the tournament. Um, so yeah, they, they developed a tournament around this uh, for everybody. And they did monthly tournaments this year for all the indie players or anybody that wanted to play. Um, it's on steam. You can go pick it up. It's three 99. I believe I always say on Twitter and everything, it's less than the cost of your lunch. I mean, people go to McDonald's or wherever for lunch and they'll spend 15, you know, however much for three 99, you can get a game that will lock you in for hours. There's 20 tracks and they're all unique and different and they're all fun in their own way. And, you know, it's just a, it's just a really cool game. And it, it built this community of what, probably close to 30 people that were really active in the chat. We had a group chat going on Twitter. Um, you know, we were in the forums, the long play forums, and we were always discussing it and posting screenshots and times and, you know, trash talking and everything. So it's a really close knit group of people now that are all centered around Cygnus Pizza Race. And of course, that's a mini game within uh, Smugglers of Cygnus. So that's really, really cool how they did that. And it, it, like Jess was saying about, you know, having a thousand um, really dedicated people is better than you know having millions of viewers or something like that um we right now we have a really tight-knit group of you know probably 20 or 30 people that just freaking love this game and want to be a part of it so uh they've done a great job at you know getting like like jess said some grassroots going and uh, i definitely just go check out this game it's it's a lot of fun and uh, stay tuned for smugglers of Cygnus. gosh it's gonna be awesome so before I ask another question about Smugglers of Cygnus, I have to say, uh, and, and in COVID times, I understand things may have been harder for developers. We've seen some broken shit. I'm just going to call it what it is, mm-hmm. right? So I can understand the risk concerns for a 60 or a $70 game, especially, right, if, you, if you're paying in pounds or in euros and, or, or Canadian dollars and it costs more money. 20 tracks for $4? You can't lose. You absolutely can't lose. Like yeah. the, it's it's a no brainer like to said, me. Like I said, if if you're worried about how much the game cost, you know three ninety nine. Just 
don't order that extra six piece chicken nugget with your lunch. Do without that six piece chicken nugget. Just have your, your value coffee meal. at home. Make your or coffee. Make your at coffee home. at home, and there you go. For you one got day, three ninety nine to come yeah, buy the game for one oh, day. So yeah. you can um, even actually play some of them for free. Yes, there's so, a demo. It's the first three tracks from season one and season two. So, yeah. yep, so then demos. let's ask. Let's ask the really important question: R Is there a rough idea of when? Smugglers of Cygnus will hit the market and ready for folks to play it. Oh, absolutely. Uh, that should be coming out at the very beginning of 2023. Oh. And the alpha is available right now. It's an early access alpha demo, which means that um, it'll always be free. So the demo is going to be perpetually free. And the demo compared to the regular game, it's on the exact same code base. It's not one of those demos that's like a you know, oh, here's a demo that shows you about my game, but it's really nothing like the actual game because it's different. The demo is literally the the, the actual game, except you're restricted to the starter solar system. Yep. So you'll get to basically do the, the, the you won't be able to jump out of that particular solar system. Um, that's, you know, that's the only limitation. And, the limitation. and, yep. and the game updates as he puts out patches. So like if there's a bug or, you know, or he's been implementing uh, the the gamepad UI. As all that stuff gets put in, he updates it. So, like this week, you know, like two weeks ago or whatever, your gamepad wouldn't have worked. Well, now it's been updated. Your gamepad should work, or I think I think it's pretty well got that. Um, so, yeah, as the game progresses and as he's working on it, the alpha demo is getting updated for free. You can check it out for free, and it's the actual game how it's going to be when the full game comes out it, it, yeah, it's because like it, you get to see the work in progress all where the time. can where can we get that so for anybody who's watching or listening that wants to experience that where can where can they get that alpha demo okay so the early access alpha is available on itch and it's just at um longplaygames.itch.io and you'll you'll see it right there on the on the page and the uh the ea and the game are separate so the ea is showing up as its own demo, so it'll always be. It'll, yeah, it's okay. early access. I, I always get confused. So it'll always that. be. Uh, <laughs> it'll always be free. The early access will be available forever, and it will always be free. It will eventually not be alpha, which would be nice, <laughs> yeah. but it will always be free. And then there's the full game that'll be available there as soon as the binaries are available for it. That way, people don't have any confusion that hey, I, I, you know, paid into a game. I don't know if it's finished or whatever. There's no cost for the early access. Not yeah. like a Steam type. That's why we avoided Steam for that. Gotcha. So what we'll do is we'll make sure that we have plenty of links um, to put. So on Anchor, we'll put those on Anchor, and then we'll put them in the right. pinned post yeah. on YouTube. That way, everybody who wants to check it out can go to one of those places, and you'll be able to quickly access the links. So that we'll, we'll have we'll have lots of information that's there. Um, oh, where yeah. can, so we'll have we'll have the Steam, the Twitter, the website. We'll have the link tree for our, we'll have the alpha demo. So we'll make sure that you guys have plenty of links and information. Where can folks, so folks want to connect um, with you guys on Twitter and kind of keep up with everything that's indie related and everything that's happening with, with um, uh, Smugglers of Cygnus. Where can folks follow Longplay Games? Where can we find you on Twitter? So on Twitter, it's just Longplay underscore games. As, as, um, most people have, have found us through Twitter, so we, we use that one as our primary point. Look for the Red Arcade console. That knows that that's how you know that you've got the real long play games. <laughs> and then 
Uh, we also have a forum and a chat server. And uh, the links to the forum and the chat server are are always with the uh, the demo, and they're with the yeah. um, and they're with the trailer and everything else as well. And then the chat server, it's not like a Discord. You don't have to have an invitation. Nope. Anybody can just drop by and take a look. Decide even if they even want to join the chat. They can watch the chat without having to join it. There's no there's no requirement like Discord where you have to like you know your name shows up. Hey, this person has has joined the chat or whatever, and everybody's I like, oh hey, there's a new person. Hi. You want to just awesome. lurk? You can lurk because it's it's public. And then, of awesome. course, the forum is also public, and you can just lurk and see what's up, and if you like it or not. Participate too. We have yep. a, we have a fanfic participation, so you can actually yes. at this stage, um, a person can actually work on that and and uh, yes, actually let's let's talk characters. about let's talk about some of the cool stuff we're doing on the Patreon for a moment, if you don't mind. Absolutely, I'll, I'll... let's do it. So on our Patreon, which we really appreciate because it's it's literally yeah. helping us cover groceries, so that's fantastic. Yeah. yeah. Even a dollar, man. Even yep. a dollar. We've said that anybody who who subscribes to the Patreon at a dollar or higher gets to provide feedback into the game that we'll, yeah. you know, like seriously consider implementing. Yeah. It's like for reals. Yeah. The feedback does matter. We listen to it all the time, and we actually solicit feedback regularly. Yes. Yep. Uh, like uh, yesterday's feedback was, um, we posted uh, what if you were a starship captain, what would you do with your tablet? And uh, so far, Auer has come up with some ideas for things he would do with his tablet, which is part of our UI, yeah. our user interface for the game. Yep. Is you basically control, you know, you're like, you browse through your jobs and whatever on a tablet. And we'll have some other things to do there as well, since Auer had some great ideas. Yay! Yeah. And uh, one of the things that we do on the Patreon is the book for the game that is being written right now is called Final Lap. And it's the Nikoi Vol story. And she's a, a, a Mustellan who wants to be a Cygnus race champion space otters so you're writing you're writing a fictional book that is incorporated with the world and the lore of smugglers of cygnus yeah because smugglers of cygnus uh cygnus galaxy is in my head that's that's where it is so if somebody takes off my head there you go you know there it goes there it goes cool that is so cool so the book um (laughs) all the chapters of the book are available on the patreon yeah so including far. including the podcast where we actually have uh, just reads each chapter. Yeah. And then I, I produce it and remove the noise and whatever. And I post it mm-hmm. for our audiobook people, yep. because we know that a lot of people don't have time to sit down and read. So they can go ahead and, you know, during your commute, during your lunchtime, it's the 20 minutes and you get to listen to the author reading the month, the chapter by chapter monthly yep. thing. And people get to contribute things that they would like to see. We ask questions, you know, what characters would they like to see more of? Where would they like to see the story go? So they get to provide feedback directly into the story as well. Yeah, That's incredible. Yep. Yep. That, that is super exciting. We're going to make sure that that gets linked too, because that you. is totally awesome. Um, our, where can folks find you? Um, our day gamer is everywhere that he exists and whatever, you know, what, whatever <laughs> platform, whatever platform I happen to be on, if I'm on that platform, it's our day gamer. Um, yeah. or it's Twitter, YouTube, Twitch, yeah. um, Instagram. Um, I haven't jumped on the TikTok bandwagon, but maybe eventually someday down the road. I don't know, but if it's available, it'll be our day gamer. Well, I know you have a link. I know you have a link tree that has like yeah. 40 yeah. million different places. Where So we'll make sure that that, <laughs> We'll make sure that that gets linked too. So before we wrap up, man, that hour and a half went by fast. Before yes, we wrap up, is is there anything that we didn't mention that needs to be mentioned? Or is there anything that you guys think that we missed? 
I think the one thing that that I really want to to emphasize, especially with smugglers, is because it's an early access alpha, if people want to see something in the game, now is the time to ask. Yep. Now is the time to come on, back it for a dollar, and say, I want to see this. Because that is the only chance that's going to happen to influence the game is when it's currently in the process of being developed. Don't come out in 2023 when it's done and say, well, you know, if only they had done this, I'd buy it. If you have an if only they had done this, tell us now because we might be able to accommodate it. Yeah. But in a year, it ain't happening. No. Nope. Okay. So basically go get get the alpha demo. Consider the 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 very hefty three ninety nine sacrifice of your soy triple frappe macchiato, right? <laughs> and then if 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 you're enjoying the alpha demo, j- jump jump on the Patreon, throw a couple bucks in, and make some suggestions of yep. what you'd like to see yep. added in the game, and listen to Jess read some of the story. Yeah. Well, which, me reading's a little bit more. It's kind of more slightly premiumer. But yeah, no, your voice matters. <laughs> Pre- I mean, premiumer. That is, premium-er. we're coining that premiumer. This is a premiumer service. <laughs> it's a little more premiumer. Okay, it's, it's, it's premiumer. This one's good, sir. It's the it's the premiere, but this is premiumer. <laughs> Hashtag take that, Webster. Take there you go, there you go, premiumer. <laughs> Apple. Apple got away with funner, so I guess it'll all work. Funner, oh, yeah, funner. Funner is not a real world. It's we, not a real word. We, we, if we make it up, it is. I mean, for God's sakes, the Oxford Dictionary put bootylicious in there, so we can make up whatever we want yep. at this okay, point. Yep. Premiumer, 2025, OED. Let's <laughs> Wonderful. Well, thanks for the fantastic episode, Miguel and Jess, Thank an you. hour. Thanks so much for coming on. Um, so yeah, oh. everybody check out the links if you want to find all the fun stuff we've been talking about and more. What's up, Hour? What I was gonna say, like, I don't know if you know, like I, I spent a lot of the show listening uh to Long Play and Jess talk about the game and everything. But like I don't know if people can hear the excitement in my voice when I talk about this game, but this game is freaking awesome and people need to be checking this this game out. Um I cannot stress that enough. I can't reiterate it enough. And if anybody wants to hit me up on Twitter and talk about it, I'm, I will bend your ear all day long on Twitter about it. So I just wanted to throw that in there. I am going to say for three, for three people, I didn't, it's like, I didn't expect it to look so good. Like when I was looking at it, I'm like, how did three people make all this concept art that looks so good and like make these worlds look so good. And like it, the designs are so cool. It's, it's, it's insane to me. How the hell does three people do that? But that's what oh, I was about to say. What's really exciting. That third person is our Linux guy. So we are very focused on making sure that Linux is not left out in the dark so yeah so that's our thing we have uh, the third guy basically is doing most of the linux testing and is actually making some really great stuff in blender yep. so we're very excited you know awesome Norway. awesome <laughs> well check out yeah alpha demo consider um the pizza race y'all and in 2023 let's look for smugglers of sin uh uh smugglers of cygnus that's i couldn't say that three times fast can you smugglers <laughs> of sick nope Smug- smugglers, smugglers of Cygnus, wow. smugglers of Cygnus, smugglers of Cygnus. Nope, I <laughs> fucked it up. Oh, well. Oh, well. All right, well, everybody, 
thanks so much for watching and thanks again to Miguel and Jess and our for being on the show and uh, we will Thank see you. everybody soon. Bye everybody. Bye.